some. I understand that life has been a bit of a roller coaster. When you think of the passing of Elsie, when you think of the birth of grandbabies, um, that's life. And it's strange to behold. Nevertheless, God has promised that He would be our constant. So even as the family of God, and we feel the highs and lows, we feel the trauma of Florida and another school shooting, and yet, Lord, we, we realize that, that he, he is our constant. We're not in the land of the living, moving towards the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying, moving towards the land of the living. And that's, that's good truth for us as God's children assembling here week by week. Yeah, the scriptures, I'm going to direct you to Habakkuk chapter 3. This will uh, be our final sermon in Habakkuk. And this has been a, a bumpy ride, and I, I admit that freely to you. This is not one of those warm, soothing passages. It's not like an energy pill that we keep in our pocket and we pop in at various times. There has been a roughness here. And coming to Habakkuk, we've come to the wrestler, we've come to the embracer, we've come to one who's grappling with life on a broken planet as a terminal person. And so uh, we come this morning to Habakkuk chapter 3. We talked about the process, we'll, we'll review in just a moment, but um, it began under thick clouds, under darkening skies, it began in the valley, and so it's interesting that the book will conclude on the heights. God is going to move his man Habakkuk from sighing and sobbing to singing. He's going to move his man from worry to worship. He's going to move his man from fear to faith. No, isn't that the process that some of us are in such need of? This is a lengthy chapter. I'm going to read the entire chapter. I, I will freely admit there is nothing I would rather do than read God's Word publicly. And what we're reading today is God's Word. It's perfect. Now, after the reading of the Word, what follows is not so perfect, but God's Word is perfect. And so let me read this prayer, this song, from the prophet Habakkuk as God has given it to him. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shigianoth. O oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One, from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His waves are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Oh, Lord, you were displeased with the rivers. Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. You divide the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. 
The overflowing of the water passed by, the deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation at the height of your arrow, at the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear, you marked the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck Selah. You sought, you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me there. Rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. Transition point. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. For God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. For the chief musician with my strength instruments. This is God's word. Father, thank you. It's been good to be together with your people. Father, we pray that you would hear our cries. Lord, I'm, I'm mindful that in this group there is both joys and celebration. There's heaviness. There's heartache. As a church family, we have faced death last week and life. We pray that we might enjoy together what it's like to weep with those who weep and to rejoice and sing and delight with those who sing and delight. Father, would you come now and open your word to our hearts? We don't want this to just be something we're getting through and getting beyond. This is not just a, a box that we're checking, Lord God. We need to hear from you, the living Lord, and so come and help us. Help us to see our name in the page. Help us to feel the force of this ancient poem. Sing into our hearts this song we ask. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we want this morning to see the anointed and see Jesus. And so help us, we ask in Jesus' name. I was a, a kid in the 1970s. Uh, we didn't move to Canada until I was 10. And so I remember bell bottoms and big hair. I remember disco, you know, some of you do too. I remember Vietnam and I remember Watergate. I remember the way that it tore at the fabric of our nation and the divisions that resulted from it. I remember racism. I remember riots that were commonplace. I remember hip, hippies and drug abuse. And I know how, on a certain level, they took center stage as younger folks rose up and stood up against the man. I also remember that God was at work. I remember that during the early 70s, there was a movement of God's Spirit 
that was glorious to behold. Some people got turned on to Jesus, and that was a phrase that we used back then. He got turned on. Some folks got turned on to Jesus Christ. In the midst of the distress and the disintegration and the unraveling of the culture, folks checked into places where the Bible was taught, where the good news was broadcast, and instead of checking out, they checked out Jesus. They found him to be a wonder to behold. Now, just real quickly, anybody here in this group came to know Jesus Christ as Savior in the 70s? Put up your hand real quick. Whoa! God was at work in the 70s. Those bell bottoms weren't all there. We thank the Lord for his work during that era. I thought of that because it was a season of incredible unrest. And yet there were songs that were sung during that era that were helpful. I thought about two songs this past week in my office. One was, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands, which I know was from an earlier era, but I can remember seeing it in the early 70s. Some of you are going to want to go and check that out this afternoon. Another one was, um, uh, what was it? He's um, Put Your Hand in the Hands of the Man which actually reached number two on the pop charts in 1971. Now, how many of you honestly remember that song? Wow! Alright. Listen to it again. Fascinating. It's done by a Canadian group called Ocean. But, uh, you know, it's amazing to think about unrest as an opportunity to rest. It's one thing to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, and it's another thing to believe that, to count on that, to bank on that. And we begin here because in Habakkuk, God is giving to his man a song. The wrestler, the embracer, the grappler has come to grips with major questions. Why does a good God allow evil and suffering? Why doesn't God act instantaneously when we sin? He just comes down upon us like a hammer on a drum. He waits. It's his timing. He's got a plan that we can't yet see. And so we've been grappling along with the prophet Habakkuk, with his timing and with his tolerance. With his timing and with his tolerance. Interestingly, by Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1, Habakkuk is looking for a new perspective. That's why he says, I'm going to go to my watchtower. I'm going to get some altitude, and I'm going to wait and watch and see. And then God speaks from the watchtower. God speaks from the watchtower. God will respond in chapter 2, and in chapter 2, heavy, strong language, God will declare himself the official and the, and the judge. We realize that from God's perspective, there is nowhere to run, there is nowhere to hide. He sees it all, he knows, he knows it all, he misses nothing. And God, from Habakkuk 2, is neither inconsistent nor indifferent. We said that no call is blown, no detail is unseen, no heart is hidden from him, no action is obscured from his perfect perspective. So we've got goofy ways of thinking. We somehow think that if we can hide our sin from other people, that our, that our sin is hidden. We've, we've lied to ourselves somehow in thinking that 
that our browser history is not known to God. And that's not true. God sees it all, and God knows it all, and God is the judge ultimately, and he will be the one who adjudicates. Habakkuk is to faithfully record God's message. And last week he describes five woes against evil people. They're reactive. They're reflexive. It's a boomerang that comes back. When you sin, God judges because of that sin. And that brings us to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, you realize on a certain level that Habakkuk the prophet is overcome. Habakkuk is pinned under the weight and the glory of God. In chapter 3, you realize that Habakkuk is having one of these eureka moments that the light has gone on for him, that the argument is over, that finally Habakkuk has come to the place where he says, Uncle, we were wrestling when we were kids, and what did you get the other person to do? They had to say, Uncle, or else he would not let them go. So the doubting Thomas of the Old Testament is overcome by the sheer weight of God's power and God's perception. This is helpful to us because we have leveled some arguments against God. We have wondered out loud. We have been confused and upset. We have been frustrated. We have wondered, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you moving? How are you acting? Years ago, a Canadian singer, Bruce Coburn, sang about kicking the darkness until it leaves daylight. And I thought of that in reference to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk is kicking against the darkness. And for some of us, that was our week. We were kicking against the darkness. And what we see in Habakkuk 3 is that it begins to bleed daylight. And the daylight is not merely daylight. The daylight is God. The daylight is the character of God. And so here in Habakkuk 3 is a kind of resilient joy and strength that so many of us need. Because on our pilgrimage, there is lots of darkness. And there's lots of trauma, and there's lots of trouble. So let me give you three truths that I think help us to anchor our thoughts around Habakkuk chapter 3. First in verses 1 to 2, will you notice with me that there is a, a new attitude? There is a new attitude it begins, this is the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. It says, On Shigunoth. And then he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. This is a new attitude on display in and through the work of the prophet Habakkuk. Now you'll notice that it begins with the notation, On Shigunoth. And right away, some of you say, Oh, it's very good to Shigunoth. Yes, Shigunoth. I had to look up Shigunov. I didn't know what Shigunov meant. And I looked it up. And it said, in the books that I studied, that it was a dithyram. I didn't know what a dithyram was, so I looked it up. A dithyram is a three-verse compilation set for music. We would call it today spoken truth. Right? That's what it is. It's kind of a, it has this poetic expression, even as I read it, there was a lot of like and as and like and as and so you realize, well, we're dealing with poetry here. We're dealing, we're dealing with figures of speech here. We're dealing with images here. What's beautiful about this passage is that God has given to his man a song, 
And then at some point in Israel's history, they probably said it to music and sang it. They sang out this truth, even as we sang out truth today, as we reminded ourselves of truths that we've believed and forgotten, and that we needed to sing again. The exact meaning, I mean, is this a, a situation where this was some type of a chant that they would sing together rhythmically? We do not know. Even some of the instruments are unknown to us. But you recognize that this was something that they would sing together, and they would use that as a way to remember the truth that's being dealt with here. Have you ever noticed how we remember things that we sing? We learn little songs when we're getting ready for tests, so that we will remember things. So this is a song that would be sung supplies us with a view of the new attitude that God has given to his man, Habakkuk. It's safe to say that this chapter was designed with a musical, emotional component to it. There was arguing, there was complaining, but it would ultimately give way to praying and singing. This is a plea for revival. This is a plea for mercy. This is, this is a foundational attitude that that deals with the fear and reverence of God. Years ago, Jerry Bridges wrote a great book with a great name. It was called The Joy of Fearing God. The Joy of Fearing God. The book title, I think, is a sermon. We don't typically think of fear and joy as something that we couple together. And yet, God's Word does it all the time. The idea that we would rejoice and tremble. Isaiah talks about trembling before the word of the Lord. It talks about trembling in Isaiah chapter 6. Revelation 1 is about trembling before the Lord. On Sinai, the people of Israel tremble before this mountain because there is the presence of Almighty God. And interestingly here, what we're seeing in the back is that he is trembling before the Lord. And it's a good trembling. There is a sense in which sometimes when our legs get swept out from underneath us and all we have is God, that's a very good thing. That's the new attitude, I think, on display in the back of chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You'll notice in verse 16, it talks about trembling body, quivering lips, weakened bones, Habakkuk is all shook up, but it's a good thing. But don't be afraid to tremble before God. Muller says that the holiness of God rests too lightly upon the American church, and it's true. The call of God here is to recognize in this new attitude the way it ought to be. That's why he's pleading for revival. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Reveal your plan. Do what you want to do, Lord. In wrath, remember mercy. He's, he's accepting here discipline, but he's also begging for mercy. That dovetails right into the way that we think about these phrases, discipline and wrath. God will humble the proud, and then he will make sure that the humble are cared for. Psalm 106, 46. He, God, also made them, as Israel, to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. It's amazing. The boom of God's judgment is about to fall. 
Israel as a nation is on a collision course with the nation Babylon, the Chaldeans, and then after the season in the woodshed, after the discipline, God is going to soften the hearts of those that have taken them captive. Thinking of Daniel chapter 1, God brought Daniel into favor with Ashkenaz. Daniel's kind of giving Ashkenaz a run for his money in Daniel 1, and yet amazingly, Daniel enjoys a favor from Ashkenaz. Think about this in terms of in terms that we know in, in the context of our families and homes. Parents, you understand this. When your child is being selfish or bratty, you have to be strong and just. You have to be strong and just. But when your child's will begins to bend, when he or she recognizes themselves to be something of a me monster, only then do you supply comfort and you begin to soothe. And so it is with God, our Heavenly Father. We know in His Word that He chases those that He loves, those that are His children. And, and then there is this glorious application of mercy and truth and grace. But not until after there have been the consequences that it's finally gotten attention. The argument has stopped. The vacuum has gained a new recognition of God, and that makes all the difference in the world. This is a new attitude. I can still remember my mom disciplining me as a child, saying, Rob Scott, that's what she called me, Rob Scott, change your attitude. I'm thinking, how can she see? How does she know? Well, that's how parents are. They know. So here we're seeing in Habakkuk a change in attitude. Here we're seeing in Habakkuk a difference. He's, he's, he's still dealing with storm clouds. He's still dealing with valleys. He's still dealing with the impending justice of God from Babylon. But he's got a new attitude. And that's the call of God upon our lives. Secondly, you'll notice in verses 3 to 15, the largest section of the chapter, there is a new perspective here. There is a specific revelation from God. This is the story of God's wrath, and it's also combined, interestingly, in the poem with the story of God's deliverance. It is wrath and mercy. And these verses are chock full of figures of speech. Um, this is poetry piling up to express the justice and the power and the splendor of God. Now, I'll give you just a sampling of that from this section. Um, in verse 4, it talks about his brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand. These are all poetic descriptions of God and his power. Moving on to verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Uh, verse 10, the mountains saw you and trembled. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in the habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, and at the shining of your glittering spear. Verse 12, finally, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. These are what we would call anthropomorphic expressions. This is when, when, in, uh, when in poetry you give to God human characteristics that teach and inform. Anthropomorphic. Some of you will have to nod with that. That's a heavy word. But what's happening here is that the God who delivered Israel from Egypt, who cared for them in the wilderness, who gave them victory over the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, who grew them and protected them as a nation, who, who, who showed to them great affection, he is still the boss. 
And so what Habakkuk is doing here in Habakkuk 3 is that he's turning backwards. He's reminiscing about the power and might of God in the past, and that will inform him as he addresses the storm in the future. And that's why the revelation of God and this perspective of God is so very important. A good homework assignment for you would be to, to tie the history to the poetry. And so we've got places like this, Heman and Mount Paran and Cushon and Midian. This is the theater where God's justice is at work and God's power is on display. And we've got phrases like, he covers the heavens, the sun and moon and stars do his bidding. He tramples nations in anger. He walks through the sea. What he's doing, he's making known one who is never overwhelmed. One who is never at a loss. Well, the question that some of you are wondering is, what is so helpful about such an ancient poem? Uh, Pastor... Thanks for the poetry lesson, but what does that matter to me? What does that do for me? How do these ancient words affect me, a troubled believer today? That's a great question. I'm glad that you asked it. When a troubled 19-year-old man goes into a school and kills 17 people in an act of outrageous evil, this poem helps. When the majority in our nation refuse God's decrees on marriage and family and life and law, this poem helps. When believers wonder if following God and obeying his statutes will matter in the end, this poem helps. And we within the church struggle to take God at his word and serve him by making disciples of all the nations. This poem helps. This poem helps us because it helps us to see the mighty God. Some of us, dear ones, are far too enamored with the storms and not with the one who comes walking to us on the water in the storm. Some of us are caught up with the tragedy and the trauma of this day, and our minds are spinning out of control, what is it that God does for this ancient mouthpiece of his? What is it that God does through Habakkuk? He shows us himself. What's he give us? He gives us himself. He lifts our minds and eyes off of the storms, and he says, this is who you serve. This is who you worship. We recognize in the vicissitudes of life, I love that word, the ups and downs of life. Things look dark, cloudy, scary. But here's the good news, dear ones. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. God has given to us this experience. God has blessed us with the gospel message. We have become his children through his gracious work in our hearts. And we get the delicious responsibility of representing him to a corrupted, corroding, disintegrating world. We need to take the stand and tell what we know to be true of God. God's God's Word says that justice will prevail one day, that it will be complete. Habakkuk is being refreshed 
by events that have already taken place. A faith is not blind to God's activity in ages past. And even as you think through God breaking the bondage of the Egyptian might so that his people could go free, and taking them into a wilderness and growing them and maturing them and teaching them. And it may have just taken them one night to get out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the people. And amazingly, there on the brink of the promised land, God will take his people in and provide for them promise and rest. And that's the delight of the message that continues to reverberate today and today and today. God has promised us not a ride without bumps, God has promised us a safe landing. Big difference. Big difference. There is life in the struggle. You ever heard the expression that uh, if you ever see a little cocoon and you thought that you would help the butterfly or the moth that's coming out of that, that you would help them by opening up the cocoon? You just killed that butterfly. That butterfly needs the struggle for life. Life is in the struggle. And for us as the people of God, life is in the struggle. If we thought that we could shelter or comfort or provide ease, I, I feel like singing along because I'm stuck in the 70s. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Right? That's the way it is. And God's word says, in this world you will have trouble. Job says that man is born in trouble as the sparks fly up. Jesus says, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. I think about Peter and the temptation he faces. As God says to him, hey, Peter, when you come back, when you return, when you're restored, strengthen your brothers. I pray for you. I am with you. I am for you. And so there is this new perspective given in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 to 15. And the perspective is one of God. Habakkuk looks back, he reflects, and he begins to sing, he begins to find solace in the might of God. There's life for him in the struggle. Thirdly and finally this, and if there are well-known verses in Habakkuk, and some of you say, I didn't know there were any well-known verses in Habakkuk. Apart from the just shall live by faith. But if there are some well-known verses in Habakkuk, certainly they're here in verses 16 through to 19. There's a new resolution here. So first of all, there is a new attitude. God is changing his attitude. And you recognize there is this new perspective God is showing Habakkuk himself in this poetry. And then thirdly and finally, there is this new resolution. When I heard my body tremble, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness in my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. That I might rest in the day of trouble. That I might rest in the day of trouble. That's a good word for us, folks. I was going to say in verse 17, and this is utterly fascinating, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. The circumstance has not changed here. What's changed is Habakkuk. God has not changed the circumstances. God has changed his man, Habakkuk. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I love this. Even with no figs, no fruit, no fields, no flock, I will rejoice in the Lord. This is an 
This is the unbeatable, indomitable spirit. This is, this is I, hear, I hear in these words the Apostle Paul. I, I, I hear him recount his history of telling the gospel and preaching the gospel and hearing about the beatings and the shipwreck and the things that went sideways and the things that were upside down. And yet he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is an element in which the world is interested to see how we, the people of God, those that follow him, how we, the people of God, live under the vicissitudes of life. They're not so interested in how we handle the joys and the times of celebration and the easy points and the points of, of, uh, of, of ease. They're very interested to see how we handle trouble and trial and trauma. And it might well be that God is taking you through something, you fill in the blank, for the purposes of having others see how you deal with that, how you navigate that, how you pilgrim through that, how you journey through that. Can you journey with joy even when things are dark? Can you journey with joy even when things are dark? Charles Dickens begins his famous novel, It Was the Best of Times, It Was the Worst of Times. If you know anything about the tale of two cities, you know that it's about basically London and Paris. Interestingly, London and England had the Wesleys and Whitfield, and Paris did not. Two totally different historical situations. England had the gospel. Paris had humanism. So it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. What Abaki is doing is that he's finding his strength in the Lord. Even as he's, he's being pinned under the weight of God, he's finding strength in God. Abaki started in the valley, and he ends up on a mountain. And then a famous verse, and some of you will recognize it as the name of the devotional. Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on high hills. I'm going to give you mountain goat's feet. I, I have been amazed watching goats over the years. You know, it's good to have a, have a farm market in Stubiak. You'll see it someday. And on the roof are the mountain goats. On the roof are goats, which I always find interesting because they've got these hard little hooves, and you would think that they're not really good on the heights. They're amazingly good on the heights. And what God is saying is that I'm going to I'm going to give you the ability to stay on high places. I'm going to give you the ability to, to continue on with this altitude and this vantage point so that you will be able to see. I'm going to bring you to the watchtower and keep you on the watchtower where you can wait and watch and pray. And that's a glorious promise that God gives to his people. This is resolution. The circumstances have not changed. Habakkuk is changing. God is not bringing him out of trouble. God is bringing him through trouble. God is going with him in the midst of the furnace. And God is there with him. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with that fourth character, the Most High God. I was thinking last night of an old hymn about resolution. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are pure, things that are higher, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to them, hasten to them, so glad and free. The, the glory of God is revealed in His people when we hasten in resolution, new resolution to His side. If we spend all our time looking at the Babylonians, 
the economy, politics, trials, you will have a rough time holding on. You will find yourself in the same position that Asaph in Psalm 73 found himself feeling my feet had well nigh slipped. Until you go to the house of the Lord, you realize that God is in fact put down those that sin and break his covenant on slippery footing. You, you can face troubles with resignation. You can kind of stoically endure misfortune. You can you can adopt the stiff upper lip thing. You can say, you know, I'm, I'm a rock and I'm an island. But that's not true. There's another way you can go through trials. You can face them with detachment. You can put your hands over your ears and say, I'm not listening. I don't I'm going to just put in some more Netflix. I'm just going to check out. I'm going to be distracted. I will keep myself distracted. But that's limiting. These methods eventually evaporate. In real life, you'll still leave you with knocking knees and quivering lips. What you need, what you and I need, is a new attitude. You need a new perspective of God's reign. You need a new resolution. As I mentioned before, some of us are far, spend far too much time thinking about the storm than thinking about the Savior. I'm wondering if you've gone through some stuff this past week, this past month, this past year, and be honest enough to say, you know what, I've been trying to do the distraction thing. I've been trying to do the resignation thing, you know, just stoicism. Just, just gonna, I'm just going to be like an English person, man. It's going to be tough. The reality is that that will not work. And what we see happening here with the prophet of Acts is that eventually he comes to a place where he says, I will rest in God, I will rejoice in God, I will rely on God. We'll change the circumstances, maybe, but he's changing me. He's putting my feet upon the rock. Well, let me give you just some concluding applications and we're finished with Habakkuk. Although we're not really finished with Habakkuk, we'll have to live out Habakkuk in the week ahead of us. First of all, this, the challenge for many of us is to see God's long-term plans in our short-term pain and perplexity. We are, we are such instant creatures. God is not bound by time and space in the way that we are. And so when Paul talks about momentary affliction, we ought to, re- we ought to repeat that to ourselves. What I'm going through, what I'm enduring, as a momentary affliction to it, I see through a glass darkly, but one day I'm going to see face-to-face. It will be me before the face of God. Some of us need to remind ourselves of the old adage, never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. And here in chapter 3, he's told us in the light who he is. Secondly, this, you understand the connection between God's discipline and God's mercy. God loves us enough to insist that we give him our attention. We come across verses in Scripture where God identifies himself as quana, jealous. Do you understand that the biggest blessing for us is to know more of God? The biggest blessing for us is to, to understand his character and come to grips with him. It's, it, the, the school you go to, the the accolades that you might find, the trophies on your shelves, uh, the bank account, the bow, you name it, you fill in the blank. That all has this passing element to it. 
ultimately what matters is that one day we sing a solo before the Most High God. We either bow before Him as ultimate judge and hear, depart from me, I never knew you, or we praise Him as rescuer, redeemer, and ransom giver. You understand the connection between God's discipline and God's mercy. He loves some of us so much that He takes us to the woodshed until He gets our attention. And that is not me. That is grace on display. Thirdly, this, have you pleaded that God would be your vision? Do you comprehend some of his majesty? We are so distracted. We are so distracted. Lewis writes this in his book, The Way of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says, we are far too easily pleased. And so us, the issue in our lives is that we're being pleased with secondary things and goofy things that ultimately don't matter. And eternity is looming before us, and we're making mud pies when we could be at the sea rejoicing the majesty of the Most High God. That's what Habakkuk declares for us. Fourthly and finally, you live in the joy and strength of the Lord, or are you trying to live on your own? You live in the joy and the strength of the Lord. Trials are like divine taxis, or I just call them Ubers now. They take us someplace. They instruct, they inform us, they move us closer to God. We cannot live on our own. We are in need of His work. So here is the back that he's concluding with this assurance that God will perfectly sort out all the details of life, even life on a broken planet. He's wrestling, and as he wrestles, we wrestle. He grapples, and as he grapples, we grapple. My question as we conclude this morning is simply this. Have you been pinned? You ever come to that place where you say, Lord, I can't do it. I am not awesome. I cannot fix myself. I do not know what to do. I am fixing my eyes on you. Rescue is only found at the foot of the cross. It's not found by trying more or giving more or trying to be more. It's found by recognizing who he is. When your legs are swept away, I pray that you might find your footing upon the rock of ages. Well, let me end where I began. And I'm thinking of this song, and I hope that you'll listen to it again. Put your hand on the hand of the man who spilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. You can look at yourself, and you can look at others differently. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. That has been the challenge. That is the challenge today, and that will be the challenge tomorrow and in the days to come. Put your hand in God's hand and recognize in him rescue. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Would you come and and meet us in our need. You know our hearts. You know you know us, Lord. Show, show us the Savior. Show us the way out. Father, when we don't know what to do, I pray that our eyes would be upon you. Thank you for a bad day. This, is, this has been a bumpy ride, Lord. This is heavy stuff. But, oh, Lord God, come and help us to feel the weight of 
of your character. Help us to resolve to find fresh delight, not in the, the ups and downs of life, but in you, Lord, you're going to change in your life. Father, I pray that you might be pleased to grant us ears to hear and eyes to see what you've set before us. We ask this in Jesus' name.